Good morning. Yeah, my name is Brandon. I am one of the pastors here at Sojourn Heights. Um, as he said, uh, we are uh, pausing today, uh, taking a look at the uh, topic of ambition, scanning the scriptures, seeing what the Bible has to say about it. And I want to begin with a story. It's been called the greatest rescue mission of World War II. American bombers were sent on a dangerous mission over southern Europe to cripple the oil production feeding the Nazi war machine. Hundreds of crews flying, navigating the brutal gauntlet of ground fire. Many were forced to bail from their aircraft. Injured airmen often drifting into occupied Yugoslavia, fully expecting to be captured or killed But on the ground, a remarkable rescue team was already being mobilized. Serbian peasants tracked the floating crews. Their sole mission was to steal the airmen to safety before the Nazis arrived. Risking their own lives, these airmen, these peasants, fed and sheltered the downed crewmen. These rescued men were in friendly hands, but still on enemy soil. They still needed to be rescued. So why the story? Why, uh, why a story of downed airmen uh, rescued but in need of rescue? Uh, here's why. Uh, I think this story paints a picture of most of our ambitions. It certainly paints a picture of mine. Rescued but in need of rescue. And so what do we mean by ambition? If we're going to talk about ambition, uh, we need a shared definition, a working definition that we're all operating from. And so here's uh, our shared definition that we're going to use today. Uh, dreams about your life that stir the deepest motivations of your heart. Dreams about your life that stir the deepest motivations of your heart, which is why ambition is universal to all of us, right? Ambition is not something isolated um, to the man or the one trying to climb the corporate ladder or make partner. Ambition is embedded in all of us. All of us have um, dreams that stir deep motivations in our heart from stay-at-home mom to soccer coach to engineer. This sits within um, all of us. And so what I wanna do is I wanna look at what the Bible has to say about ambition and I wanna do it under four headings, right? The good, the bad, the ugly, and the beautiful. The good, the bad, the ugly, and the beautiful. And for the good, we've got to go back to the beginning, back to Genesis 1, 27, 28, where God gives a macro ambition to humanity. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply, and fill the earth and subdue it. Have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every other, every other living thing that moves on the earth. So here was the macro ambition. Be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, and fill the earth with what? My image. Take my image and spread it from one end of the earth to the other. Inherent. Inherent in Genesis 1 is something to accomplish. This was not simply passive, um, hey, watch this. It was go and do. Go and accomplish this. Go be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, multiply, spread my image. Inherent in Genesis 1 was something to achieve, to accomplish. But then we also have a micro-ambition in Genesis 2.15. The Lord God took man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and keep it. 
And so it narrows from fill the earth to work the garden, from fill the earth and multiply to start in the garden, work the land, spread beyond. That the core of this, that the heartbeat of both when we put them together is this, a vertical man and God, a vertical ambition that's got horizontal implications. Horizontal ambition with, uh, and by horizontal, I mean vertical ambition with horizontal implications. At the core of both, take my image, multiply, spread it. And so why is this good? Why, what's the good of ambition? The, the good is that it's woven into creation, right? Your desire to accomplish, to achieve, to climb the next hill, to get out of debt, your, uh, your, your drive and desire, this is not part of the brokenness simply of humanity. It's woven into Genesis 1 and Genesis 2. But what was good and pure when we hit Genesis 3, um, goes wrong, and the bad of ambition. This is in the garden, verse 5 and 6, where God says, um, hey, don't, don't eat. One tree, don't eat of the tree. And then Satan, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you'll be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise. She took of the fruit and ate, and she also gave some to her husband, who was with her, and he ate. And in an instance, in a flash, right here, here's what happened. What began is God's ambition carried out through man. God's ambition that was carried out through Adam and Eve became Adam and Eve's ambition to be like God. It got inverted. It's no longer your ambition, us carrying it out. It's our ambition to be like you. And the net result, verse 10, and he, that's Adam, said, are the sound of you in the garden. You is God. And I was afraid because I was naked and I hid it myself. Here's the net result. Here's where it went immediately. Fear, shame, insecurity. This was, this was where this led, fear, shame, insecurity. And what happened from here forward is this vertical insecurity. There was a vertical break between man and God. There was a vertical insecurity between man and God. And the story of humanity became this. The story of humanity became trying to deal with vertical insecurity through horizontal ambition. Trying to deal with vertical insecurity through horizontal Ambition, And so it's no longer vertical ambition with horizontal implications. It's now fixing vertical brokenness with horizontal ambition. And eight chapters later, like if you, if you were to grab a Bible, uh, open it up and just thumb through beginning to end, it's a, it's a large book, a lot of time for brokenness to unfold. Um, and when we, what we see eight chapters later, like a page or two, eight chapters later is this. Genesis 11, three and four. Humanity's got one language, they're migrating to one place. And they said to one another, come, let us make bricks and burn them thoroughly. And they had brick for stone and bitumen. I don't know how to say that word. That's as close as I can get to it. For mortar. Then they said, come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the heavens. Let us make a name for ourselves lest, remember Genesis 1, lest we be dispersed over the face of the whole earth. 
to no longer spread God's image. Take my image, multiply, spread it across the earth. It's now, I don't want that. Lest that happen to us, let's build a city with a tower that'll reach the heavens. Why? I'm gonna make a name for myself. Like work was not part of the the multiplication process of taking the image of God and spreading it from the garden to the ends of the earth. Work is now, this is how I make a name for myself. This is how I achieve. This is how I I invert Genesis 1 and I make sure that I've got a reputation. I've got a name. And here's the thing about the Bible. The first five chapters of the Bible, Genesis to Deuteronomy, they, they serve as a foundation, an introduction to the Bible. If you take the first five chapters or five books of the Bible, it divides into two parts, Genesis 1 through 11, Genesis 12 through the end of Deuteronomy. And so the opening of, uh, of this uh, introduction to the introduction to the Bible is this crescendo of the inversion of Genesis 1 where man is now uh, saying, I don't want to spread throughout the earth. I, I, I want to make a name for myself. It crescendos with broken ambitions. And then Genesis 12 through the rest of the Bible is a story of God rescuing a people from their own broken ambitions. But here's the problem. The problem is this. It's settled deep into the human heart. A broken ambition, make a name for myself, uh, it's it settled deep into the human heart. And it's why in the Gospels, you see this, even the religious leaders, even the religious leaders of the day, which by the way, if you and I lived in those days, we, we would have looked at these religious leaders and we'd have thought, man, y'all are the ones that have it together. Like you guys, you just have it together. Like I want to be like them. Even they, even they, John 12, 43, it says that they, uh, I'm going to get it right, for they loved the glory that comes from man more than the glory that comes from God. Even they, even the people who are the religious leaders of the day are using religion to make a name for themselves. You see, the functional reality is this, that from Genesis 3 on, we lived in a desperate need for the approval of men. You and I uh, are not, lest we be blind to our own brokenness. You, you and I are not that different uh, from Genesis 11 or from the religious leaders of the day. You and I have a functional God that governs our heart often where I need the approval of men. Now, here's what we don't do. We don't do this. We, we don't say, uh, you, you, know what, you know what I want to do? I want to build a tower to the heavens and I, uh, I, I want to make a name for myself by building this city. We, we, don't, we don't do that and we don't talk like this. You know, my problem is that I love the glory of man more than the glory of God. That's my problem. Like that's never been a coffee shop condo you've probably had, all right? So let me tell you what this plays out like. This is what this looks like in real life. It looks like living a life of comparison. That's what it looks like. It looks like living a life of comparison. I fact-checked this illustration with my wife uh, who is in the room or was in the room. Uh, You want to know where the insecurity that stay-at-home moms deal with? If we drill down to the heart of it, you want to know where it comes from? A life of comparison. Working moms, if we drill into where their insecurity comes from, you, you want to know where it comes from? At its core, life of comparison. Single men and women, you, you want to you know why it's so easy to feel like there's something wrong with you? This broken thing and, and this insecurity that you might feel about being single? Life of comparison. Now, 
save myself the email, I am fully aware that it is far more complex than that. I, I am aware that the way that we treat one another and speak of different life stages or different decisions that other families make uh, creates and fans the flame of insecurity in us. I am, I am aware that we could do a lot better at not fanning insecurity that already exists inside one another, but I'm simply trying to highlight an undercurrent that sits in all three of them because it traces itself right back to Genesis 11. It's a John 12. You ever wondered why at, uh, at work uh, there's this thing where you just, like your title is so important to you? Like my title, Matt, like I, want, my, I, I don't need a raise, I need a title. That's not true, you probably want the raise too. But, but I, need, like I need a title, my title, my title, my title. My title, Matt, what's your title? What's my title? Where, where, does that, where do you think that comes from? Life of comparison. If you ever... You may not have ever wondered this, but uh, why so many of us seem to be so discontent with our life all the time? Could it be this? Could, could it be that all of humanity has a broken relationship with God and we're always trying to fix it whether we know it or not? And we're using horizontal ambition to try to deal with it? Could, could that be? And I know some of you are like, man, I'm, I'm really not like an ambitious guy. I'm not... I'm not um, I'm not uh, a lady that's really all that ambitious. I'm not that driven. I'm not trying to, like, this doesn't, uh, but let me, let me tell you another way that we apply this so we're not that different than the religious leaders. We, um, we, we use morality, um, church, we, we're in seven parishes, we're at every Bible study, we're at you name it, right? Um, or maybe more honest and accurate is um, I'm, I'm the guy, I'm the girl in my parish you can count on. You need something, I'm there. I'm the one, you can count on me. You need a meal, I'll cook it for you. In fact, I'll bring seven. You need a ride somewhere, 3 a.m., doesn't matter to me, I'll do it. And listen, there's something beautiful about serving one another, but let's not escape the motivations of our heart that are trying to earn the approval of men. Because vertical ambition, that's our horizontal ambition when we try to deal with our vertical brokenness. None of us have escaped it. None of us have escaped it. What we have realized is this, that there's no amount of success, not all of us have, but I hope soon, uh, that there's no amount of success, no amount of moral success, religious success, professional success, no amount of success of any form in your life um, that will fix the way you feel about yourself or fix what's broken with God in you. You can try. Give it a shot. I've tried. It doesn't work. It doesn't work. So it was good, because it came from God. Uh, went, went bad. Went bad in Genesis 3, and we've been spiraling ever since. But eventually it got ugly. And it got ugly when we, when we who had inverted the calling and taken in Genesis 3 desire to be like God, it got ugly when God came to be like us. And the way God fixed what was broken in Genesis 3 and our desire to be like God is that God became like us. And the one who came and the one man whose vertical ambitions were not broken, the one man in human history who, uh, who, who didn't have daddy issues, went to a cross, hung up there, nails driven through his hands, nails driven through his feet, clouds going dark. And while he did, you know what he's experiencing? He was experiencing the vertical break that you and I are born into. He was experiencing the separation 
from the Father that you and I are trying to navigate our lives dealing with. But when he did, when he did, he also opened up the door to heal the vertical break that we live with so that you and I, you and I might have the chance to live out rescued but in need of rescued ambitions. And so here's what's beautiful. Here's the beautiful. Is that in Christ, he gives us both new and renewed ambitions. He gives a whole new set of ambitions that renew the good ambitions that sit within us. Here's what I mean. If you're an engineer or you're a teacher and you, and you come to faith in Christ, let me tell you what Christ doesn't do. He doesn't say, um, you know what, you need to just stop being an engineer, stop being a teacher. He doesn't remove existing passions in your life. He doesn't remove existing um, good ambition in your life. What he does, he gives a new set of lenses to see the world, including what you do, that renew the passions that exist within you. And so what I want to do uh, is I want to look at the three times that the word ambition is used in the New Testament and let this paint a picture for what's beautiful, for what those new ambitions are uh, that renew our existing ambitions. And I should probably say this, um, that when you see the word selfish ambition in the, in the New Testament, that's not this word. That's a completely separate word. I'm looking simply at the word ambition and the three times that ambition is used in the New Testament. The first one is this, 2 Corinthians 5, 8, and 9. Paul, the author here, talking about the tension of life on earth with the desire to be with the Lord. And he says, yes, we are of good courage, and we'd rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. So, whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim. The word aim is the word ambition. We make it our ambition to please him. If I could maybe paraphrase what Paul is saying here, he's saying his primary ambition is that his life would be a life of holiness, that he'd, be, he'd live a life pleasing to God. That's what he wants. So what does this mean for my job? All right, Brandon, we're going to leave. I'm going to go eat lunch. Uh, I'm going to go to work tomorrow, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. What does this mean uh, for my job, for my life at work? There's a, a pretty famous story that's attributed to Luther uh, Martin Luther, or a shoemaker, comes to him and says, I- I've become a Christian, uh, Martin, what do I do? And Luther looks at him and says this, make a good shoe, sell it at a fair price. You see, for, for Luther, um, a restored vertical relationship had horizontal implications. You see, for Luther, it took you back to Genesis 1 and 2. Horizontal, I mean, vertical ambition, horizontal implications. That work is not simply a way that I make a name for myself that I achieve and I climb and I climb and I climb, but work is a way that I serve both God and my fellow man. Make a good shoe. Sell it at a fair price. His first ambition is that he'd live a life pleasing to the Lord. Second ambition. Romans 15, midway in 20 and 21, I make it my ambition. The word ambition there is the word ambition to preach the gospel where Christ has, not where Christ has already been named unless I build on someone else's foundation. But as it is written, those who have never been told of him will see and those who have never heard will understand. 
The second ambition, Paul's second ambition, is that, that he would preach the gospel not where Christ has been heard, but where Christ has not been heard. That there are whole communities, there are whole nations, there were then, there are now, where the word Christ, where the name Jesus has never been heard. And Paul is saying, I want to make it my ambition that I would preach the gospel there. It's in part why we partner with Acts 29 Italy and with Redeemer City to City that we might be able to play a part in God reaching unreached people today. And so what if you, what if you saw your job this way? Like what if, what if you saw the uh, ambition and the drive and the skills and the giftings that you have been given? What if, what if you saw it this way? What if you saw it as a renewed ambition so that it was a joy to serve and support financially those that are going? What if that's how you saw your job? What if that was one of the ways that you saw your job? Because if I was more courageous, I'd say it like this. One of the reasons you have that job is that you can serve and support financially those that are going. So can we talk about something? Um, it's gonna get a bit personal real quick. Is that okay? Safe space? No? Okay. All right. I'm gonna do it anyway, but here we go. Let's talk retirement. Silence. I, I'm pro-retirement. I'm for retirement. I'm a fan of retirement. I, um, I, I have a retirement account Monthly money goes into that retirement account. I am for retirement. Saving for retirement is good and wise. It's part of how I can care for my family, my wife, and my kids in years where I can't work. It's a good thing. There is nothing wrong at all with saving for retirement. But if your primary ambition in life is this, a lifestyle that I'm going to get to live in 20, 30, 40 years and not how can I be a part? How can my finances be a part of the gospel of God making it to the ends of the earth? You need to reevaluate your ambitions, period. If your primary ambition is a lifestyle that you're gonna get to live one day and not how the gospel of Christ is gonna make it to the ends of the earth, then you need to reevaluate your ambitions, period. His first ambition is that he'd live a life pleasing to the Lord. Second, that the gospel would make its way to the nations where he's never been heard. Third, his neighbor. First Thessalonians 4 and verse 10, but we urge you, brothers, to do this more and more, and to aspire, aspire is the word ambition, to ambition, to live quietly and to mind your own affairs and to work with your hands as we instructed you so you may walk properly before outsiders and be dependent on no one. Third time, the word ambition is used to live quiet, live a quiet, humble life for the sake of the outsider. Now, this runs counter to the air that we breathe, does it not? Uh, I, let, me, let, me, let me throw this out. I'm not, I'm not tossing Christian bookstores under the bus. I don't care about them at all. It's fine. It's whatever. If you work for one, wonderful. Um, they, all I'm saying is I've got no dog in this fight whatsoever, but let me guarantee you this. Um, you can go to the nearest Christian bookstore, make your way shelf to shelf to shelf to shelf to shelf, and here's what you're not going to find. You're not going to find a single chapter that says this. You, you want to you wanna live missionally? You want to engage missionally? Live a quiet life. 
You're not going to find it. You're not going to find it. You're not, you're not going to find, hey, you, you want to live a life intentionally for the sake of the outsider? Just live quietly. Live a quiet, humble life. Won't find it. What about at work? Um, does, this, does this mean that at work I, I can't be passionate about my job? Of course, that's not what it means, but, but Brandon, you've got to understand, man, like in my job, like I'm a quiet is not me, man. I just, I get it done, I get it done, I get it done, I get it done like I'm the guy. Like I'm the dude there. And yeah, we're called to live quietly. So what does this mean? Does this mean you shouldn't be passionate about your job? Um, no, that's, that's not what it's saying. You know, that, you know that person at the office who... It's just everyone's like, man, you really gotta, like, they're really in conflict. Like, there's always conflict around that person. Um, y- y'all know who I'm talking about? Here's what it means. It means that's not you. It means you're not that person. You know, the, the person who it's like, man, you better not get on their bad side. Like, you get on their bad side and it's just gonna be, uh, you know, torture for you. It means you're not that person. You're not the one everyone is afraid of getting on their bad side. That's what it means. It means that in your neighborhood, in your apartment complex, on your street, you're, uh, you're, you're not the angry neighbor who's always upset about everything. You're not the one who's going door to door going, hey man, like if you could just get your act together, clean up your, you're not the angry person. You're not the one that everyone's afraid to show up in your apartment at the grill at the same time with you. We live quietly for the sake of the outsider. We live a life marked by humility, not for our own sake, but for the sake of our neighbor. And I, I love, if I could plug something real quick. I, man, I, we, I love our church. I do. I, I love Sojourn. I love that we feel like family. We don't just feel like family, but we actually try to live out church as family. I Man, I love that. But let me, let me tell you why we, we are so passionate about multiplying parishes around here. So we can have new communities, men, women, and children following Jesus who might together live quiet lives for the sake of the outsider, for the sake of our neighbor, for the sake of our coworker. So why these three? Why, why these three? Why today? Why, um, why look at ambition, these three highlights of the word ambition in the New Testament? Um, I'll give you two reasons. One, uh, one, these are markers of Jesus. That's why. Uh, what, what did he do? He, he lived a holy life pleasing to the Father. He, uh, he took his gospel to the nations and he lived quietly. Second, second reason Next week, we start a five-week series on revival. And yes, we will define what we mean and what we do not mean by the word revival. But here's what's happening. We're, we're going to beg and we're going to plead, oh God, renew our hearts. Renew us. Spirit of God, meet us in a fresh way. Revive us, oh Lord. Revive our hearts. Meet us right now. Renew us, oh Lord. And one of the marks that he's willing to do it is that we'd have new ambitions that renew our current good ambitions. That, that he might rescue what's in need of rescue. And we might get the opportunity to live out of 
new ambitions, not for our sake, but for the sake of our neighbor and for the sake of the nations. Let's pray. Father, I know that um, I feel like we just took a 30-minute glance at something that needs six weeks to dive into. And so, Lord, I, I pray that you would multiply the 30 minutes in our hearts today. I, I pray that um, you would take what to me right now feels like a surface glance at something and you would sink it deep into us, that you would multiply the effect of these words in us. I'm asking you to do that. I know that we can't force it. We can't force this word to come into us. And so we're asking Spirit of God for you to do that for us. I pray for the men and women right now uh, who are aware that their life has been consumed by uh, ambitions that are more in line with Genesis 11 than they are the life of Christ. I pray you might give us more and more of Christ's ambitions and you might kill more and more of Genesis 11 in us. May we see our vocations. Stay-at-home mom, engineer, soccer coach. May we see them as a means by which we get to live out Genesis 1 and 2, serving God, serving our fellow man, and less and less ways that we make a name for ourselves. And may that undercut the insecurity that so many of us deal with. We ask in Christ's name. Amen.